We're in Acts chapter 24 today, uh, just in case you guys didn't know. Paul was in custody in Caesarea. He had arrived in Jerusalem after spending time in Asia and Greece and then uh, came into Jerusalem. He was bringing that gift. Do you remember the gift that he was collecting from all of the Gentile churches? And he was now bringing that gift back to the Jewish church uh, that was in Jerusalem because they were struggling, they were hurting. And that was his purpose uh, for coming uh, back to Jerusalem, bringing that gift, delivering it to them. And here's the thing. Well, sometimes when we're reading, we think that months have gone by in a section of Scripture where in reality only 12 days have gone by from the time that he entered into Jerusalem he uh, took on a few guys that were going through a purification process and uh, then he joined them, paid for theirs and then went into the temple and was purified. And then he was arrested, um, well, he was beat up first by the Jews, then arrested and then held there. And then he found out there were 40 guys that wanted to murder him. So, they uh, took him and uh, brought him to Caesarea. So now he's in Caesarea. He's going to be put on trial there. The Jews are coming from uh, Jerusalem uh, to put him on trial, basically, to, to go before Felix, who is the governor, and he's going to have to go on trial uh, in front of the governor. Well, here's the thing. That only happened 12 days earlier, the time that he came into, it was five days waiting for the Jews to come to Caesarea. So it happened in a very short period of time, and now the Jews show up in Caesarea to present their case before the Roman governor, Felix. Today's message is titled, The Truth Incites Fear. And we continue our study in Acts chapter 24. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus, and these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is uh, being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. So here's the trial. It starts right away. We uh, get this group of guys that come in, the elders, Ananias, the high priest. Do you remember, Ananias, what happened when the council met and Paul was brought before Ananias um, there in Jerusalem? Uh, remember, the commander, Lysias, had brought him in to find out what was really going on and what happened, the interaction between Paul and the Jews. And so Ananias uh, brought him in and as um, 
Paul made a statement, Ananias ordered Paul to be hit in the mouth. And uh, the same thing is going to happen here today in that he's going to make the same statement that uh, being hit in the mouth isn't going to actually happen. But this is the same group of guys that unrighteously held a counsel against Paul. Now they have to do it. This, the difference is it's in a Roman court. This isn't under Jewish law now. This is under Roman law. And they're going to have to present something to the Roman uh, governor of why he should be put in prison or killed even. And they're going to have to present it this way. So Tertullus, they, they hired uh, this orator. He's a lawyer. And he comes in and he's going to orate. He's going to present. And, oh man, he starts off really good. <laughs> this is one of those guys you listen to him and it makes you sick. <laughs> because just the way he's saying it, and especially if you know anything about Felix. You know, because here he is saying, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with thankfulness. Oof. That, man, you get diabetes just listening to that. It was... <laughs> It was disgusting. But here's the thing. You have to know who Felix is. Felix was born a slave. And he finagled his way through the system to become governor. From being a slave to becoming a governor. That just doesn't happen normally. But enough backroom dealings uh, you know, enough, you know, paving someone's palm and you can get into any position. You just have to know what you're doing and you have to be a great manipulator, a great liar. Uh, you know, you really have to know what you're doing to get into that position. Felix was one of those guys. We're going to hear about his wife, Drusilla, uh, later on. His wife, Drusilla, was uh, the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. She was 18 or 19 years old when they were married. She was Felix's first, uh, third wife, uh, but Felix had to have her first divorce, her husband, to marry him. And so he was conniving. Uh, he, he wasn't uh, very nice to people. He didn't care about other people. So when he is pointed out that they enjoy great peace, that wasn't a fact either. As a matter of fact, since he had taken over Judah, there was all kinds of turmoil there. As the governor, he would be in charge of bringing peace, but that wasn't what was taking place. There were all kinds of um, backroom deals. There was all kinds of, of 
stuff going on that we know our government doesn't do today because we're, you know, we, we've advanced so far beyond that. Um, but, um, but here, this government, um, they were involved in a lot of shady deals. And there was increasing crime in Judea because he was accepting bribes from people so that he would be able to pad his bottom line and he didn't care about the crime that was going on. As a matter of fact, when there were different riots or people that uh, were uh, against the government at that point, he just brought in uh, the Ro a Roman military and just uh, wiped it out. They, he just snuffed out any kind uh, of uprising. So that's the kind of guy Felix was. And so Tertullus brings this up, and he makes them sound like, uh, you know, uh, never mind. Um, uh, so we're in verse 4. Nevertheless, so here's Tertullus. He continues. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further. Oh, I love that. Not to be tedious. I, I don't want to continue to sugarcoat this. Um, I beg you to hear by your courtesy, because we know you're so courteous, a few words from us. Now here are the accusations against Paul. For we have found this man, pointing to Paul, a plague, a creator of dissension among all of the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, Lysias, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. So here are the arguments against Paul. So first of all, it says that he um, was a plague and a creator of dissension. Now, if you look at the history of Paul, and, and he never caused those, I mean, there were uprisings. Remember the temple of Diana? You know, where they all got together and they shouted for hours, you know, great is Diana, uh, you know, of, of the Ephesians. Now, he didn't cause that. The people did. They wanted to go shout for, uh, you know, a few hours about Diana, but it wasn't Paul that caused that. He wasn't raising a ruckus wherever he went. He was just bringing the gospel. Note. The gospel brings a ruckus. When you share the gospel with people that don't want to hear it, uh, you raise a ruckus. You, you probably will ruffle some feathers. People don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the good news because it offends them, it convicts them, and it goes against what they believe to be true. So basically, when you share the gospel, what people are hearing is you're stupid 
because you don't know this and anything that you believe contrary to this uh, is wrong. That's what they hear. The ones that believe that the laws that our government are passing uh, to make marriage equal, you know, to, to do what they think is right for the people of the land, uh, because we don't agree with that because of what the word of God says, uh, then we are the offense. We're the stick in the eye. And when we present that, we're not supposed to present it that way. Too many times people present the gospel as in, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's where you're not meeting the gospel, where you don't believe you're not following these rules. And while the gospel, while the Bible, there are rules because there have to be rules. If there were no rules, then we wouldn't even need the book, right? So there has to be rules. And so if we present the Bible as a book of rules, though, then people get confused. They get challenged. They, uh, they don't accept what the Bible actually says because it's not something that they're going to receive. Immediately, they put up a barrier around them. Here's the challenge that Paul was facing. He was going to the Jews, and he was telling them about Jesus being the Messiah, except the Jews didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And so immediately, they put up every defense, and they found every reason not to believe what Paul was saying, regardless of the fact of whether it was true, whether it could be validated, which it could be, but it didn't matter. They didn't want to believe it, and it contradicted how they lived, the way they lived, what they lived for, and so here was the biggest problem that they have. So here he is presenting Paul as a a man that's a plague, creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the world, not only in Jerusalem, throughout the world. Well, how do you confirm that? Well, it was the Asian Jews that had come into Jerusalem that actually were the ones that put him on trial in, in Jerusalem. So uh, obviously this is a worldwide problem because they came all the way down just for that purpose, supposedly, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. The Romans had problems with the Nazarenes. The Nazarenes did not go along with Roman rule, and so they were trouble anyway. So if they could present Paul as a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene. Well, this is the group that really is causing the most trouble, and he's the ringleader of them. You see how that presents? It's like, oh, obviously, this man is uh, someone that we need to get rid of. He even tried to profane the temple and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. And so here was the problem. 
We couldn't even judge him according to our law because your commander Lysias came in with great violence and took him from us. Now, was anything he presented true? No. Not one statement that he made. Remember back in, in verse 1 where it says that they came from Jerusalem and these gave evidence to the governor against Paul? See, doesn't evidence have to have some fact behind them? Doesn't evidence have to have something to look at and say, here is the evidence, you're producing something that proves. Doesn't evidence prove? Well, there is no evidence. There is nothing that proves what they're saying is true. Just because all of the Jewish elders were there as Tertullus was giving his oration, going, you've seen that before, right? You know, oh, obviously this is right. Oh, yes. Obvious that this is the way it is. It, it's kind of like, you know, watching a debate on stage, you know, when, when your guy's speaking, you know, yeah, yeah. When the other guy's speaking, nah, all lies. And that's what's taking place here. So the Jews assented, maintaining that these things were so. You know, there are times when people will falsely accuse you of something that you may or may not have said or done. It may not even have anything to do with Jesus and your relationship with Jesus. You just are accused of something or falsely accused. And there are times where defending yourself is not the best option. You know, trying to um, tell the truth and presenting the truth may not be the best option sometimes. Sometimes you let the false um, uh, witness say what they want to say and you let them keep saying things and eventually it'll sound stupid to whoever's listening. So sometimes we give credibility to what people are saying by trying uh, to argue uh, for on our own behalf. Uh, when people are telling lies about you, damaging your reputation and uh, causing harm to your character, the first thing you should do is pray. Because God knows the truth. God knows how to handle the situation. Generally, when someone says something about me that isn't true, which happens quite often, um, it, it, because they really don't they don't hear fully. It's very easy to take a snip of what I say and sell it as my whole belief system. You know, one statement that I make and now it, it, this is what this person believes. So it's very easy to do that with you also. Just take a comment that you make. Do you know what that person said? You know, they said they hate the color blue. And anyone that wears the color blue is evil, is the Antichrist, you know. And, and uh, you know, what? What are you talking about? And, but people will do that. 
trust me, uh, it's uh, on, on my side, it's been done a few times, but I found that when I pray, the Lord gives me peace and says, oh, don't worry, I got this. And I'm okay, all right, I'm not going to say anything. I'll whine to my wife so that, you know, she can feel sorry for me, but I won't say anything to anyone else. <laughs> and we'll go from there. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak. So that was Tertullus. That was his whole statement. Now Paul is going to get an op uh, opportunity. After the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Now, I like that. See, he didn't butter him up. You know, it, it almost sounded like he said something, you know, a little buttery. Oh, you have been a judge, you know, of this nation, uh, you know, for a long time. That's not buttering him up. He just made a fact. He just made a statement. Inasmuch as, hey, you've been a judge for a while. So now I'm happy to present the truth now cheerfully for myself. Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogue or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. So here's his defense. Where are the facts? Where is the evidence that they supposedly... I showed up in Jerusalem 12 days ago. There was no atonement. There was no problem. There were no issues. If there were, Lysias, the commander up there, would have been involved in shutting it down. But the atonement didn't start until the Jews from Asia started it. And that's when Lysias got involved. But this... I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So here's the advantage Paul has in this situation. He's a Roman citizen. And so he's speaking to a Roman governor. And that puts him in good context here because the governor has to protect Roman citizens first. And Jews weren't really looked at as upstanding citizens in the Roman court. And so he has an advantage here. And just listening to the argument of Tertullus, it almost makes you, you sick listening to it. So as a governor listening to the Jewish argument against Paul's argument, even though Paul didn't argue anything, really. He just said, hey, 
you know, they don't have any evidence. I came into town, I didn't cause any trouble, and they don't have any evidence of anything that they presented. I, I think that that's a pretty good argument to stand on. But then he goes on and says, but this I confess to you that according to the way, and the way was the name of the Christian church before they were called Christians back in those days. They, it was called the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the way was the common name that people referred to Christian as. So here he says, According to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. You see, he's basically saying, I believe everything that they believe. I know who God the Father is. I believe in him. And I trust and believe in everything that the law and the prophets say. Here's the difference. He literally believes in the law and the prophets. They didn't believe literally in the prophets. They believe literally in the law. So because they believe in the law, uh, they uh, amplified the law. They extended the law uh, to be... Uh, many laws, hundreds of laws, but still, Paul was okay with that. But it was the prophets where Paul was pointing to. He's saying, look, I believe in the law and the prophets, meaning I believe what the prophets said about the Messiah. See, the prophet said that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to be born of a virgin. He was going to suffer persecution. He was going to take on the sins of the world himself. And he was going to take away our sins. So this is what the prophecy said. The prophets said this. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe the prophecies about the Messiah, they believed that they were talking about the nation of Israel being persecuted. And so that's how the Jews back in those days uh, were able to separate themselves from a suffering Messiah. Remember, the Jews back then in Jesus' day believed that the Messiah was going to come. He was going to be a conquering king. He was going to come and he was going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. And then he was going to go to the Jewish leadership and say, all right, guys, good job. All right, I'm going to give you all mansions. I'm going to give you a bunch. And now I'm going to go and destroy your enemy. Is there anyone in particular you want me to take out first? That's what they thought. They thought they were going to have control of what took place, that Jesus was just going to be a figurehead, and that they were going to be running everything. Uh, kind of crazy, huh? But that's what they believed. And so when Paul presented Jesus as the Messiah, as the suffering 
servant of mankind. It just didn't fit their picture. So they had to change what scripture meant. And today, it's called progressive Christianity. It's the church that doesn't agree with what the literal interpretation of the Bible says. And so instead, what we're going to do is give you an explanation of what the scripture means. Oh, you think it means that? No, that's not really what it means. Oh, do you know that there is no word in the Bible for rapture? So there is no rapture because there's no word in the Bible for rapture. Have you read the word rapture in the Bible? Nope, you won't. You know what other word you won't read in the Bible? Trinity. You won't find it. You won't find the word Bible in the Bible. So I guess none of those things really exist, right? Well, actually, if you were reading the Latin version of the Bible, you would read the word rapture. Because in Latin, it's arpazo. And that is exactly the word that is used to speak of the rapture. And so we can understand the things that the Bible tells us because we take it literally. We look at it literally and say, all right, what does this actually say? And unless it's saying something that doesn't make sense and, and doesn't, like Revelation, there's a bunch of stuff in Revelation that just doesn't make sense. John says, I saw something like this. And like that, well, that means it's not a literal interpretation, you know. But when he says, I saw this, then you know that is. And so we can look at the Bible and understand it literally. And that's why we as Christians look to the literal interpretation of the Bible. It's important that we say, I, I don't want to make up what the Bible says because I know I'll mess it up when I come up with my own ideas of what the Bible is saying. But progressive Christians don't care. They just want to be an authority and tell, I don't want to be the, the authority is Jesus. Amen. The authority is the word of God. I'm not the authority. I don't want to come across as being the authority. But when I share the word of God, it's in an authoritative sense because it's what the word of God says. And I can share it in the power of Jesus Christ because it's the truth. That's where the power is, not in what I say, but in what the word says. And so that works. Is that okay with you? Yes. Good. So uh, here's the thing. They, the Jews, they just wanted to... Um, you know, uh, fit everyone into their bubble, everyone into their world. Do you know if these other Jews that started believing in Jesus as the Messiah, you know what the problem is? They're going to stop coming to temple. They're going to stop coming to synagogue. They're going to start stop tithing to their system. And they couldn't afford to lose the money. You know, they, and, and so... That's what the real problem is. They needed to keep that income coming in. 
So Paul was now saying, hey, look, all of this is true. Uh, I believe in the law and prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept. They accept the fact that we have hope in God. Here's the thing. Um, the Sadducees did not really have a hope in God. The Sadducees believed that when you die, you just die. And it's done. So only on earth while you're living um, were you actually being blessed. And God had no interaction really with mankind. That, those are the Sadducees. Then uh, there are the Pharisees who did believe in life after death, angels, and, and you know, eternal life with the Lord. And so there was a division between them. And so that's why Paul points this out. And he says, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept. He's talking about the Pharisees, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And uh, so now Felix has heard the argument, has heard both sides of the story. It was presented to him in such a way that he can look at these two and he can almost make a decision. Well, really, he could make a decision because no evidence was presented against Paul that you know, warranted him, uh, Paul to be uh, continued in prison. So there wasn't anything. So we uh, continue in verse 16. This being so, I myself always strive to have a good conscience without offense toward God and men. You remember that statement? That was the very statement that Paul presented before Ananias when Ananias said, smack him in the mouth, punch him in the mouth for saying it. That's the very same statement that he said, I think Paul is trying to get under his skin. I think he's trying to get Felix, the governor, to see that this guy's out of control. But it, it doesn't happen. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. That was his reason for going into Jerusalem to bring those gifts that he collected from all of the Gentile churches, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob or with Talmud. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. And so Paul gives him an account of what took place back at the council in Jerusalem. He says, hey, they had nothing against me. There were no witnesses that said that I did any of these things. But there was one statement that I made concerning the resurrection of the dead. I am being judged by you today. That's how he ended the whole thing. Lysias had to carry him away because the Pharisees and the Sadducees started fighting with each other at that point. And so Lysias 
Lysias had to take him away. And when they say that Lysias started it and, and he took him by violence, uh, no, the violence was already happening. Lysias was saving Paul from the violence that was taking place. So the, the um, prosecuting side, uh, they lied. The, the whole thing was just one big lie uh, presenting before the governor. And Paul just gave him the facts. He didn't go into, you know, a lot of background. You know, these Jews from Asia, they were following me around Asia trying to cause trouble up there. They were following me from place to place causing trouble wherever I went and taught in the synagogue. He didn't present all of that. He didn't try to make them to be the bad guys. Uh, they were, but he didn't try to make that presentation. Why? You know, we'd, we'd be hiring lawyers and, you know, oh, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We see how well that works in our court system today. So here, uh, Felix had heard everything now. Verse 22, and when Felix had heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, oh, so Felix actually knew about the way and he had knowledge, accurate knowledge of who the way was. He adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So here he, he stops the proceedings and he says, you know what, when Lysias gets here, I will make a ruling. Well, why? There was nothing to hold him on. There, there were no facts, but he still held him. It, it, it sounds like Felix was wishy-washy. He was afraid of making the wrong decision. And so he was going to do probably what was going to cause the least damage to his character uh, and reputation. So... He has a Jewish wife. Um, Drusilla was Jewish. And so he probably had an understanding of the way through his Jewish wife, through the fact that Herod Agrippa was Jewish also. And uh, so he has that tie to that family. So in verse 23... Felix um, says in uh, verse, yeah, 23, he says, so he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and told him not to forget, uh, forbid any of his friends to provide uh, for or visit him. So Paul basically is allowed to have his freedom. He'll have a guard with him, but he isn't going to be under guard in a prison. He's going to allow his friends to visit with him. And so Paul had a lot of freedom being a prisoner in uh, this location. We know that Paul wrote a lot uh, from there. He also interacted a lot with people during that time. So uh, he had a lot of liberty uh, while being in that place. Can you imagine the guards 
that were guarding him, the conversations that they heard. I, I just wonder how many of them got saved listening to him sharing with the other you know, people that were coming to visit with him. I bet you there were times where it was just him and the guards and they were like, Paul, so you, you said this. What, what, what are you talking about there? Because, I mean, naturally, they're not just sitting around there talking about the baseball game. You know? Baseball wasn't invented yet. I know that, that kind of went over your heads. But they, they didn't have much to talk about besides what Paul was familiar with. Verse 24 After some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. He sent for Paul. So he and his wife got together and said, let's hear what Paul has to say about Christ. Wow, what an opportunity. You're going to get the chance. Remember, Paul was told, you're going to speak to kings. You're going to speak to these elite people. You're going to have an audience that you would never have uh, unless you were in these positions, whether you were put on trial. That's the only way that he was going to be able to do that. And so now he goes before Felix and Drusilla he knows Drusilla had to divorce her husband to marry Felix. He knows, you know, what kind of person Felix is. He knows all about everyone did. So this wasn't something that was, you know, Paul wasn't aware. So Paul now had the opportunity to present something talking about Christ. Oh, let me tell you all about the grace and the love of Christ. So, you know, maybe if I tell him something he really wants to hear, he'll let me go. He'll say, you know what, Paul, I, I'm, I'm the governor. I can say, what I, if I let you go, that's my choice. I can do that. And I'm going to let you go because you are such a nice guy. Paul didn't take that tact. He started uh, with, um, and now has he reasoned about righteousness. So here he is talking to one of the most unrighteous governors in the world. And he starts to talk to him about righteousness. <laughs> it, was it right for Felix to tell Drusilla to divorce her husband so that he could marry her? She supposedly had great beauty. And so, you know, he saw her and said, oh, my goodness, I have to have this woman as my wife. And, and so that was a righteous act. No, I'm sure he didn't mention Drusilla. I'm sure he didn't mention that. He just talked about the righteousness that God requires. I'm going to tell you, these aren't uh, great e evangelizing tactics to go out and start telling people about the level of righteousness that God requires. That, that, that probably wouldn't be my first point when I go out to share the gospel with someone who needs to know the truth, you know. But 
Uh, Paul knew what he was doing. So the next thing he talked about was self-control. Self-control. Here's a guy that had no self-control. He had three wives. He had no self-control. And he had no righteousness. And so here he just wanted to establish the ground rules. You're not righteous and you're not in self-control. You know, you have none. But he didn't say, Felix, these are the things that are a problem in your life. He was just presenting that this is what God requires. God requires these things. You know, it's always fun to read about what God requires of someone else until we apply them to ourselves. You read the book of James, and, uh, you know, James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And then he talks about the tongue, you know, and how evil the tongue can be. And we have to apply that to our own lives. We have to look at what the Word of God says and not look at it as a historic document. Oh, man, Paul was such a great guy. Uh, he had some zingers there for Felix. We have to look at it as in, how does it apply to me? Where do I stand in these categories that Paul is pointing out? And then he goes from righteousness and self-control to the judgment to come. The judgment to come. Now he is basically pouring it all out. This is it. You're righteous, self-control, and if you're not, then there's judgment to come. Everyone's going to be judged. And I'm sure that that was not what Felix wanted to hear. And it says that Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. And when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. He was afraid. The word afraid there means a visible fear. He was shaking. He was obviously shaken by what Paul had told him. Now, I don't think it was because of what Paul had told him. I think it was because of what the Holy Spirit revealed to him through the words that Paul spoke to him. It was because God let him know, it's you. This is you. You're this man that is unrighteous, that is not in self-control, and you're the one that's going to be facing the judgment. I believe that that's why that kind of fear came into uh, his life right at that moment. So he sent him away again uh, until he had a convenient time. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given to him by Paul so that he might uh, release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. He was hoping that Paul would come and say, you know, here, I got some money, you know, would you let me go? And he was used to taking bribes. Besides that, he heard about the gift 
that he delivered to Jerusalem from collecting from all the churches, he knew that the guys that were coming to visit with Paul were bringing him sustenance, were bringing him food and money, clothing, whatever he needed to survive. So he knew he had a source. He had a following. He had a group that would be able to provide for funds. Where God guides, God provides. And see, he guided Paul to this place in front of Felix, and he's providing for all that Paul needs during that time. And I have operated this church under that premise since 2011. If God was going to start this church, then he was going to provide for the needs of the church. He uses you to do that, but it's still his church. And so I am fully uh, convinced that what God wants to do, he's going to provide everything he needs to accomplish his will. And as a church, that's a wonderful thing, but he does that individually too. If he guides you to do something, do it. He'll provide. You may think, I'm not qualified. You know, I don't have the qualifications to do the things that the Bible calls me to. Yes, you do. You are qualified because Jesus is the one that qualifies you. And he will prepare you for whatever it is. So if he calls you, follow, listen, go, and uh, be qualified by him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix. And Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. And so there's the whole story of who Felix is. He's someone that didn't do the right thing when he had the opportunity to do it many times. Presented with the truth, it didn't change his heart. key thing to take away from these scriptures, the truth incites fear. And the teaching of Paul frightened Felix, but it didn't frighten him to the point where it made a change in his life. Before we came, became Christians, before we became believers in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit was working in our hearts. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus just spoke about the rapture. When he says, I will raise him up on the last day, what last day? Well, the last day is the day that he comes and takes everyone up. Paul says that he's first going to take the dead in Christ and they will rise. And then those that remain will also be taken up to meet him in the clouds. And we will be with him forever at that day. Amen. And so Jesus was talking about the rapture. Again, where people said Jesus never mentioned the rapture. Yes, he did. He just said it. I will raise him up on the last day. 
And since he was talking 2,000 years ago, and many people have died since then, he, he was talking about the rapture. Those people are going to be raised up on the last day. Isn't that cool hearing Jesus tell us about what people have such a hard time believing. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about making a decision for Christ in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For, for he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And so that is still true today. We live in a day where if you don't know Christ, if you've never received him into your heart, uh, today is the day of salvation. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. None of us do. And so we have to be fully ready to go to the judgment with or without him. I'd rather go with him because without him, I don't stand a chance. But with him, I have all the hope of eternity because of what he has done and he has made that way possible for us. So we should take our own walk with Christ seriously, being prepared for that day when we meet him face to face. If you haven't invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day of salvation. Make it so. If you need someone to pray with, I will pray with you after, and we'll just make sure. You know, Pastor Chuck had someone come up to him and say, you know what, I don't know that I'm one of the elect. I don't know if I'm one that is called to, to be the elect. To, and Pastor Chuck said to him, well, let's pray right now and make sure you are. And really, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the fact that, hey, we can't do it on our own. So let's offer it up to the Lord and make that happen the way he can do. Amen?